0: I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part two in the series, Developing a Rule of Life. Adopting the lifestyle of Jesus is tricky when you can't always translate the details and context of Jesus' life. What does it look like to be like Jesus and do the kinds of things that Jesus did as a woman or an engineer or a grandfather, for example, when Jesus was none of these things? Understanding the unique context of your own life enables you to adapt the lifestyle and spiritual rhythms of Jesus in crafting what the early church called a rule of life. Testament, while Christian shows up two or three, depending on your translation. So based on the preferences of Jesus and the New Testament authors, I prefer the term disciple. For me, it has less to do with the mess that has been made of the title. But it is funny, the pejorative implications said to, you know, waft like a stink from the word Christian, because in the beginning, it also had a very bad connotation just for very different reasons. And oh, the irony Get this, today, the title uh, Christian is, I would argue, and with a great many surveys and statistics, largely disliked, Because of its political implications, the word Christian for many brings to mind angry, volatile people known for their political idolatry, patriotic, uh, militarized, nationalistic, imposing, mean-spirited. These are the terms that come up in any given survey you read on people's perception of the term Christian. But in the first century, the word Christian also had a negative political implication. It was just the complete opposite. So Christian means, in a literal sense anyway, one who follows the Christ. But in the first century, this was neither a religious label nor a brag. It was used to identify those who refused to acknowledge the emperor of Rome as the true leader or to fight in their wars. So these people, these Christians, they follow this Christ, and they don't follow Caesar. So a a Roman historian called Tacitus wrote in the first century, by vulgar appellation, they were commonly called Christians. When faced with this accusation of uh, treason, that they were traitors, those who reject the emperor and instead follow the Christ, this early church, punk rock as it was, they said, yes, that is exactly who we are and that is exactly what we do. That's why, in context, this is why Peter wrote... However, if you suffer as a Christian, and like as a bad word, a pejorative, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. A traitor, a treasonous traitor. But really, my point is that even though there have been times when the word Christian has enjoyed uh, maybe a misunderstood positive connotation, uh, after Constantine Christianized the Roman Empire, during the Christianization of the, the Western world, when the term is rightly understood, it has always meant... Those who follow someone else, they don't move in the rhythm of the status quo. They don't bow to the emperor or to the presidents or flags. They don't, do the, the, uh, they don't do things the way that everyone else does them, to a fault. Given a choice between Jesus and the rest of the whole world, these people will choose Jesus. We follow Jesus. Following Jesus means doing the things the way that he did them, the way he told us. To do them But for a number of legitimate reasons, that's a very difficult thing to do, because you can't just copy paste the lifestyle of Jesus into your own day-to-day world. Jesus was an itinerant peasant rabbi who lived and worked in the ancient Near East. Uh, none of us are any of those things, to my knowledge. maybe some peasants, that's about it. So how do you, as say, a mother of young children, or a nurse, or an engineer, or a tattoo artist, or a city worker, or a dad, or a husband, or a wife. How do you embody the lifestyle of Jesus when Jesus was none of those things? It can be done, I would argue, in crafting what the early church called a rule of life. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew th- Chapter 13. If you're new to Van City, welcome, by the way. Uh, we spend a lot of our time teaching the Bible one line at a time, doing the hard work of unpacking the scriptures carefully. We've been in Matthew for, I counted, three years now um, as evidence of this fact. But every few months, we pause and we take time to learn a new spiritual discipline from the life and lifestyle of Jesus, or a principle of emotional health and spiritual maturity from the early church or from church history. We talk about it here on Sunday for a bit, and then we meet throughout the week around dinner tables and groups that we call Van City Communities to actually attempt to put what we're learning into practice together. We are now in a series called uh, Developing a Rule of Life, along with a corresponding set of practices. If you missed last week, that was kind of the overview. Do me a favor, go back and catch up on the podcast if you're interested. For now, let me summarize by saying that when the early church wrestled with the question of how to best adapt and implement the lifestyle of Jesus into different settings and contexts, they designed something called a rule of life. It's kind of like a calendar. It's kind of like a code by which one lives. All of us Whether you call it a rule of life or not, we live by certain rhythms and routines, good or bad, organized or chaotic. A rule of life is a means by which we examine those uh, rhythms and routines and we dispense with the unhealthy and organize the things that enable you to thrive as a disciple of Jesus in the here and now. Andy Crouch defines a rule of life as a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives we follow Jesus. The goals of anyone who follows Jesus are threefold, to be with Jesus in the first place, to become like Jesus over time, so that you can eventually do the kinds of things that Jesus did. Now, we spent all fall in a series called More of the Holy Spirit, which was all about the how you be with Jesus part of that threefold process. But how the heck do we accomplish goals two and three being like Jesus and doing what he did. Must we all become rabbis? Should we travel around attempting to heal the sick and preaching the kingdom all the time? Or forget the hyper-specific stuff. Do we all have to wake up early to pray, for example, like Jesus did, even if our particular season of life makes the evenings more feasible? A rule of life is the most practical and effective tool that I've found personally to translate the lifestyle of Jesus into your season of life and stage of apprenticeship. Last week I mentioned that there's no one design for a rule of life. But ordinarily, the categories kind of unfold thusly. There's abiding, which are the prayer practices of Jesus, learning to pray, read the scriptures, that kind of thing. There's the mind, the kind of content that you put into your mind on a daily, weekly, and annual basis. There's upkeep of the body, healthiness, that kind of thing. There's your relationships and sexuality. There's your work and vocation and the way that you rest. There's the way that you steward and spend your money. And then there's sharing the gospel along with hospitality, and you organize each of those categories in a rule of life by day, week, month, even quarterly and annual practices. So eventually in this practice where we're going, we will arrive at a table that looks something like this. Some things I do, for example, daily, like reading the scriptures and prayer. Other things are weekly for me, like a community and coming to church on Sunday evening. Some things I do every month, like one day of fasting. Uh, my family takes monthly Or some things I organize monthly, like my family takes trips every quarter. For example, two small trips, two vacations together. I wrote into my annual rule of life, a full day of silence and solitude. So it goes by day, week, quarter, I mean monthly, even quarterly, and even annually. But before we get to all that, before you fill in the table and all that stuff, the best way to approach the seven categories and their repetitions and how you organize them is to take a self-assessment of what you do and why in the first place. In his book, Crafting a Rule of Life, Stephen Macchia argues that a rule of life allows us to clarify our deepest values, our most important relationships, our most authentic hopes and dreams, our most meaningful work, our highest priorities. It allows us to live with intention and purpose in the present moment. So to begin, Machia argues that your personal rule of life will be best realized when it is written from five dimensions of your personhood, your roles, your gifts, your desires, your vision, and your mission. So let's define each of those things from the life of Jesus, which brings us finally to Matthew 13. Bit of warning, I'm going to have you guys flip around just a bit tonight, so look alive. You guys okay? You ready to do a little bit of work? Great, thank you. Let's read Matthew 13, beginning with verse 54. Matthew 13:54 says, Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters still with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home or household. Now, this is a story, if you've been paying attention, that we've unpacked in detail in our ongoing study of Matthew. But tonight, I want to draw your attention to a few uh, passing surface details. Look at the text again. In verse 54, we read that Jesus was teaching, and specifically in the synagogue. So Jesus was a teacher. He was a rabbi. In verse 55, we read that Jesus is the son of the local carpenter, which sounds like a trivial uh, thing, but learning Jesus' dad's profession tells us something fascinating about Jesus himself. In Jesus' context, he would have apprenticed his human dad, Joseph, in the family trade. The word Translated as carpenter as tekton in Greek, which describes a specifically like a craftsman or an artisan. So we used to think that Jesus was a woodworker, but s- since there isn't much wood to speak of in Nazareth, scholars now believe he was more likely a stonemason of some kind. And for the decades, our first few decades of Jesus' life... That's what he was doing. He wasn't going around that we know of, healing the sick or preaching the kingdom. Um, In a very long season of Jesus' life, he was making things out of rocks with his dad. And that's what he did most of the time. He was the son of a craftsman, he was a craftsman himself. And then that verse goes on Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Which is interesting. Jesus had a mother, that much we knew. He also had brothers and sisters. So Jesus was a son, and he was a sibling. And before the story ends, Jesus himself adds, He said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. Jesus understood himself to stand in the tradition of Old Testament figures like Isaiah and Jeremiah, who came to provoke and inspire Israel to turn their hearts back to Yahweh. Jesus was a prophet. But he was more than that. Turn a few chapters to the right to Matthew chapter 16, and when you get there, read along beginning with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, uh, notice in context, Jesus travels with his apprentices, his disciples, who he he describes in the story, not as just his students, but as his close friends. So Jesus was a friend. And he goes on in verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, you you got it right. That's exactly who I am. Jesus wasn't just a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah. He was, but he was more than that. Both he and his close friends understood that he was the long awaited king of Israel, or the anointed one, or the Messiah. And he was more than that as well, he was the son of the living God. And from the roles that Jesus fulfilled, we also learn about his unique gifts. It sounds strange, I know, to talk about Jesus' unique skill sets because it logically implies that he was good at some things and in some sense, anyway, not good at other things. But honestly, it makes a ton of sense. Jesus may have been without sin, but he wasn't Superman. He didn't try to do everything. So I don't know, maybe Jesus couldn't paint Or sing all that well? I don't know. Maybe you could beat Jesus at foosball. Um, We'll see, won't we? (laughs) I'd like to think so. And who wants to beat Jesus at foosball? I think that would be shameful. (laughs) I'll give it a shot. So maybe he wasn't awesome at everything because it wasn't his job to do everything. And I can think of few things more freeing than understanding that and taking it very seriously. But he was particularly gifted in many ways. In the Gospels, we learned that he was good at teaching and leading. He was actually the best at those things ever. He was very good interpersonally with people. He was intellectual. He was into academia. He studied the Torah and philosophy. He was into craftsmanship. He was an artisan. He could build things. He was creative. He told stories out of nowhere, little narratives that he designed to teach people. He was hospitable. He spent time with people that ordinarily other people wouldn't spend time with, just to name a few things that Jesus was good at. And these roles and skills informed the desires of Jesus. Turn a few chapters to the right once again to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. As a Jewish man, a son and a brother, a rabbi, a prophet, who was gifted in teaching and understanding the Torah and his ability to care for others, there were things that Jesus wanted for his life and for the world around him. Let's read Matthew 23, verse 37. It's beautiful. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Jesus wanted to use his roles and his gifts to teach and show Israel specifically the truth and to bring them back to God. and in doing so bring the whole world back to the heart of God, of course. That's not the only thing Jesus wanted. We also read all throughout the Gospels about the way that Jesus longed to seek the people he called the lost, meaning those who do not know the truth uh, of God or who have wandered from the truth of God. When Jesus took his first communion, what we call the Lord's Supper, with his closest friends, he told them, and I quote, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you meaning he wanted to be with his students, his friends. He wanted to know them and to share his most personal moments of life with them. And Jesus' roles and desires informed both his vision for life and his mission in the world Jesus understood himself to be inaugurating God's kingdom. That was the primary topic of Jesus' teaching, the kingdom of God. He explained his vision and his mission by quoting the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of Yahweh is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The authors of the New Testament explain his mission in beautifully simple terms. In Acts, we read this about Jesus. God anointed him, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And my personal favorite summation of Jesus' ministry from 1 John, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the devil's work. The mission of Jesus. Now, here's where I'm going with all that. The things that Jesus did, his rhythms and routines, his habits, his disciplines, they they weren't haphazard or arbitrary. They were deliberate. Jesus knew what he was doing. He didn't just wake up early and figure, well, I'm up. I might as well go be alone and pray while I'm at it. He planned to do that. He didn't just wander into the wilderness by mistake and figure, well, I'm lost. I might as well fast for 40 days to be super spiritual in case the devil shows up. What a coincidence, here he is. (laughs) Jesus understood his unique roles. He understood his skill sets. He understood what he wanted, his vision and his mission in the world, what God wanted from him. And out of all that, Jesus crafted what we now call a rule of life. To craft a rule of life, For this season and this stage of your apprenticeship, you have to think about who you are and what you're good at, the things God has asked you to do, and the person He's asked you to be. So the idea this week, uh, when you meet with your Van City community or with a couple of friends if you're not in one yet, we're inviting you to think through each of these dimensions of your personhood. But first, uh, a brief word on each. It begins with the roles that you fulfill in your life. Your personal rule of life is framed in the context of your primary relationships. So think through them the roles that you play in each. Are you a friend or a sister or a brother? Are you a son or a daughter? Are you a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad? Are you a leader? Are you a collaborator? Are you a support system? Are you an artist or an entrepreneur or a nurse or a contractor, or a pilot or an engineer? Now, to be sure, your roles are not your identity in the strict sense, meaning your identity is actually exceedingly simple according to the Bible. You are God's beloved daughter. You are God's beloved son. So you, you may also be an artist or an engineer, but if that was taken from you, and it could be, you'd still have who you are, beloved of God. That's, it's that simple. But that doesn't mean that your roles don't matter. They do. They're tethered to the people in your life and the things that God has asked you to do with your life. Some experts argue that it's impossible to maintain more, more than five to seven major roles and remain healthy and balanced as a human being in the process. And they're probably right. So part of your rule of life, prep work, will mean taking a good look at each role you play, how many there are, which ones drain you, and which ones are life-giving. Which of your roles are healthy and which roles are decidedly less so? And then based on your season of life and stage of apprenticeship, which roles require the most attention and which should be uniquely prioritized? And next comes your gifts. To craft a rule of life, you need to understand your gifts, your natural talents, and your unique wiring and personality. In what ways has God gifted you to do good in the world for the sake of the kingdom? Are you naturally hospitable? Or are you, by nature and design, a very patient person or an empathetic person? What are your talents? Can you sing or paint or build or solve problems or make things? How would the people closest to you answer those questions about you if you asked them? And you can do that, by the way. How does your particular temperament factor into all those things? Are you intellectual and reserved? Are you social and outgoing? Are you optimistic and idealistic? How do you walk through pain and suffering? Think through your gifts and your talents and your temperament, and then ask yourself, what are my deepest longings? Or another way of asking that are, what are my core values? What are your desires? What desire has God nestled deep in your soul, the pursuit of which brings you to life with great joy? Do you want to see justice done in the world in some specific way to care for foster kids or to care for the poor or to combat racism and oppression? Do you want to change something wrong in the world or add something to the world that you think is missing? Ask yourself, based on these deep desires, how much of your life, as it is right now, actually flows from and back into the deepest desires of your heart? And if you look at those desires on paper, are they consistent with the way God made you and what he's asking of your life. Now, remember, that doesn't necessarily mean that if your desire isn't to be like a foreign missionary or work for a justice nonprofit, then it isn't from God. God may have placed a desire on your heart to cook or to raise kids or to write music or to teach or to work in an office things that, in their own way, contribute goodness to the world for the sake of the kingdom. What are the desires of your heart? If you can articulate those desires, you can set them within a long term vision for your life. This part is big and broad. It's like life's work that will likely feed into most things you do rather than just one thing you do for a certain season. So when I wrote mine, I wrote down in my journal, What will be said of me when I'm dead? Because, of course, I had to frame it in as morbid terms as possible. Maybe your vision is to act as a spiritual mother. Or to create things that draw one's attention back to God. Or to do and inspire justice in a certain time and place in the world. And then ask yourself, what am I currently doing to pursue my vision? Or another way of asking that is, what is my mission? What are the specific purposes unique to this season and stage God is inviting you to fulfill, to live out of your roles and your gifts and your desire and your vision What roles and relationships need more attention in order for you to fulfill your mission? Which roles and relationships need to decrease or possibly even be eliminated? What responsibilities need focus and attention attention, on which should you pump the brakes for a season or altogether? These are the dimensions that will inform your rule of life, your roles, your gifts, your desires, your vision, and your mission. And thinking through each will prepare you to craft what will become your rule of life. And we'll get there in a little bit. But remember, your rule of life, when you write it, is written in pencil, not ink. It will inevitably grow and evolve and adapt with your life and the evolving needs and focus of your apprenticeship. It doesn't mean that it isn't organized or that you don't commit to it. You should. It just means that the disciplines and rhythms crucial for one season and stage will likely shift as you mature or as your life circumstances dictate. But there is one person that you are, and many people that you are not, and your rule of life should reflect that. There are many good and admirable visions and missions that are not yours to take up. There are many wasteful and negligent things to which you can dedicate your time and focus that are not your vision, your mission, that do not honor your roles and your gifts, So here's one. Uh, Years ago, I made a movie, which is a funny thing. Now, uh, it's bad. I'll just go ahead and cut you off there before you get too curious. Um, Don't be fooled by this pastoral exterior. I have been known to dabble (laughs) beyond the world of pastoring, more than just a professional Christian people. In fact, I was by trade a filmmaker for another church for several years. I thought deep down maybe one day I'd get into the filmmaking Business. Movies are important to me, so I figured, heck, I'm gonna write me a screenplay, so I up and did that. Then I figured, I'm just gonna direct the heck out of this thing. Crowdfunded it, hired directors, or actors, sorry, that was me, hired a uh, director of photography, an animator, prop people, contracts, and released the whole thing. Uh, micro budget, that was just a two week shoot, guerrilla style, and boy was I excited. And I had the worst time. <laughs> that I've ever had on a project creatively. Went over budget, people quit. One young lady uh, spent a week wearing these prosthetic crab mandibles, part of the thing, and she was about the best sport of the whole thing. (laughs) Lost money, lost time, had huge fights on the set on a daily basis. Um, I remember one in particular in a warehouse with no air conditioning, and there were a troop of people in these uh, green unitards that cover your whole face, On a green screen with puppets and there was an argument about how to best spend time and i was looking around at this surreal scene and what what are we doing man um so it was an awful thing a year later after we started i was still working on the awful thing and it wasn't just one of those like underdog rough start like man it was really rough but you know somewhere deep down i was like nah this is this is the end of this for sure i don't suppose filmmaking is in my future in fact That made me assess my 9 to 5, which is also in videography and all that, for which I was grateful, but I asked myself, will I do this forever if this is not my main thing? And if not, what's next? What other things should I be doing? Now it would have been foolish to simply say, job ain't fun anymore, I'm out, so instead... I started to pray and ask questions and reorient things so I I could invest in where I thought God might be leading me next while I was doing this other thing, and it turns out it was here. Spoiler alert, here we are. (laughs) Now, a a rule of life is the outgrowth of the simple realization and acknowledgement of who you are And what is yours to steward in this season of your life, in this stage of your apprenticeship to Jesus? It is, in the broad sense, a way of life, like a big, broad way of life, but the specifics of it, the details of it, will vary from season to season. I think it would be good and admirable to dedicate one's life to building orphanages in India. I am grateful that people do that, but that is not what God has asked me to do. In this season of my life. Not, it's not what I'm good at. Uh, it's not conducive to my roles or vision or mission. On the other side of things, I would very much like to spend absorbent amounts of time reading novels and watching movies and playing Sega Genesis with my son, which is really fun to do right now. I would do all these things for hours every day left to my own devices They aren't bad things, none of them really, but there are other things more pressing for me and so I have to prioritize my time, order things in such a way that I don't neglect who I am and what Jesus wants me to do and who I am to become by his spirit. So maybe you're not sure right now how to answer those questions, who you are, what Jesus wants you to do, who he wants you to become. To you, my encouragement is this, ask the spirit and then keep asking. Sit down with people who know you well with people who have more experience, more wisdom, and ask what they see in you, Ask them about your strengths and your weaknesses. I remember a few years ago, Patrick, who works here at City, he was between gigs, and I remember that he reached out to several people and just asked them point blank, listen, I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do next in my life, and I don't have any idea right now. What do you see in me that could help me move forward in the next season of my life? So try that. Ask. Listen to what people say. And then start to prioritize your time to honor and pursue those things. I kind of suspect that many of us feel as if our lives could use at least some organizing, a, a bit more discipline, focus, productivity, however you want to put it. Certainly a great many of us, I hope, would very much like to experience what Jesus called life to the fullest, but I also suspect that some of us think, at least deep down, that if we were more organized, more disciplined, more productive... Maybe we'd be doing some incredible sounding thing, very different than what we're doing right now. Maybe we'd be building orphanages or putting out fires or starting a nonprofit. We think we'd have our neighbors over every single night. We'd be sharing the gospel constantly. We'd be praying for hours every morning if we had our act together. And I don't know, maybe you would. But thinking like that only widens the gap between where you are and where Jesus is inviting you to go. What if... A really good rule of life will, more than anything right now, make you a less anxious person or make you a more patient mom. What if a really good rule of life will enable you to just get better at hearing God's voice or processing some painful things going on in your life at the moment or to get better at forgiving other people or to get some peace in the day to day rhythm? frenetic pace of the modern world. What if a good rule of life won't send you overseas or turn you into a monk or bring your entire block to faith in Jesus, but it does give you more time to rest and helps you feel like you can put your phone down more and helps you prioritize time with the people that you love. If you approach this whole thing imagining that the intended result is to transform you by way of a spreadsheet into an idealized, spiritual super you, then one of two things will inevitably happen. One, you'll bum yourself out when you realize it doesn't work that way. Or, and this is more likely, you'll intimidate yourself out of trying before you even start. Don't do yourself that disservice. A lot of the rule of life, I've found, is really taking a thoughtful look at the good stuff that's already in your life and with intentionality finding ways to prioritize and treat it well. And sure, you will likely also do a thing or two you weren't doing before. I had not been inside a gym for more than a decade before I wrote my rule of life. But when you rightly order the things that you value, the things that are less valuable, naturally move to the bottom of the list. So this week, when you gather with your City community, you'll head to vancity.church ruleoflife and talk through the dimensions of the rule, your roles, your gifts, your desires, your vision, and your mission Spend an evening talking about Jesus' rule of life, and sure, it's easy to feel intimidated, but I don't believe that Jesus is asking you to slavishly copy and paste His rule. I think He's inviting us to ask, how would Jesus' lifestyle look in my time and place, my season of life, my stage of apprenticeship? What does the lifestyle of Jesus look like for a teacher, or an artist, or a parent, or a student, How does it look for someone much younger than Jesus was to adapt his rule of life, or much older than Jesus was to adapt his rule of life? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And we follow Jesus, whatever you call us. So with that in mind, let me pray and ask God's Spirit to empower us to follow Jesus well. Thanks for listening to Vance City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vance City financially at vancity.church/give.